Good morning, and welcome to the Lord's house. I'm, I'm proud of you that you've taken time to prepare your hearts for the coming of Christmas, not just your houses, you know, not just your presence, but your presence in God's house and spending time with his word. We welcome also those of you who are online that you have joined us as well. As we mentioned in the welcome, in the opening uh, a bit ago, as we look back on some of these stories, they just seem so sweet and so tender and so genteel, and yet those conditions were harsh. And uh, we just want to uncover the reality of that situation because it's similar to our life. You know, uh, you may be experiencing what you think is a harsh life right now, a difficult life. You know, I'm on the other side of that, uh, that divide, and I can look back and say, you know, that was harsh, but that was also sweet. That was also tender. You know, I look back with a different set of eyes, and, and I can see how God used those times to bring about blessing in our life, in my life. And uh, I pray that you have that kind of confidence, that kind of trust in the Lord. While in the meantime, it still seems pretty harsh. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth be faithful to the message that you would have me share for the benefit of your people, both near and far. And I pray also, Lord, that you would uh, open the, the hearts of your people to receive the message that they desperately need, uh, each one perhaps a different message. But you are capable, Lord, of, of taking these words and dividing them 10,000 times and bringing exactly the, the emphasis and the message that each of us need to hear. So, Lord, we commend this time to you in expectation of your favor and your blessing because that's the kind of God you are. That's how great is your love for us individually. And we ask your presence. We expect your presence. We count on your promise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, I don't uh, know if uh, you've been uh, blessed to uh, have a child born into your immediate family or if uh, you've witnessed that in the life of somebody that matters to you. But I know this, that the birth of every child is significant. Uh, I have some pictures up here on the stage. I, I know it looks like that, you know, you see me now and you see me in that picture and you say, well, that must have been like 20 years ago. But, uh, <laughs> but, in, but in fact, that baby that I'm holding over there when I had the collar on and I was doing my internship... I can barely remember that far. You know, it was like 40 years ago. That kid turned 40 this year. Hard to believe. And then this guy over here is uh, uh, sitting in the front pew over here, and he could hold me now. You know, he's bigger than I am and stronger, certainly. You know, it's, it's a, an important moment. It's a poignant moment. In fact, somebody said, a baby will make love stronger, your days shorter, your nights longer, extremely longer. <laughs> Bank accounts smaller, for sure, but homes happier, your clothes shabbier, <laughs> the past forgotten, and the future is something to look forward to. Now, the birth of a child brings awe. If you hold a child, you just say, how could this possibly be? Who could deny the possibility of a miracle that two cells from two different people could come together and nine months later create this child that has all of the mysteries wrapped up in the DNA that just everything that's necessary for their entire life is contained in this small bundle. And yet it's so vulnerable and, and the responsibility overwhelming. You know, I, even though that was a time ago, every time I hold a baby in my hands and, and conduct a baptism, 
or, or see one of our staff bring a new baby into the world, I, I just remember it was like yesterday. That's, that's a moment you don't soon forget, and it doesn't, uh, doesn't fade with time. You just remember how intimidating that moment is. You say, I'm still a child. There's so much I don't know, and now I'm responsible for this, you know, for, for 60 years. No matter how old you get, that's always your child. In fact, I still look back uh, when I see my kids struggle, and I wonder, you know, was there something I could have done better, something I could have done different, or I'll see somebody parenting really well, and I say, man, I wish I could have a do-over, you know. Uh, we know that we're not perfect people, and yet God has grace to cover all of our shortfall and uh, bring blessing into those kids' lives as well. But this you know for sure, your life will never be the same, will never be the same when you bring a child into the world. And that's what we're looking at today a young girl whose life would never be the same at that moment was told that she was going to bring a baby, her firstborn, and God's only begotten into the world. We're looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 26 and read through verse 45. We're going to start at the annunciation of Mary by Gabriel that she was going to have a baby. We're going to stop after she goes to Elizabeth. And then later we're going to read together the words of Magnificat, you know, her response to this wonderful gift that God brought into her life. So let's begin with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, last week we we read that story. If you weren't here, go back and listen to that message or at least read those verses because Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, an older couple, kins people uh, to Mary and to her family, were told that they were going to have a child, even though they were well past the age of bearing children, and, um, and they became pregnant, miraculously became pregnant. Well, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she was going to give birth to John, the one who would prepare the world to receive Jesus. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, God now sent his angel Gabriel to Nazareth, which is in the extreme northern part of Palestine, very far removed, 100 miles removed from Bethlehem and from Jerusalem. Uh, Very few strong Jewish uh, communities lived that far north, and yet God knew that Mary was there. He sent uh, Gabriel uh, to this town of Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man. Now, in those days, uh, these were arranged marriages, and uh, the family had chosen this noble man. It, it, it seems difficult for us to accept that, that that would be the case, but this was the custom. It was not uh, seen as a problem. Uh, it was always seen as a blessing. Uh, married to a man, and, and the lineage was important. And so they would allow for um, perhaps a year of engagement, which was similar to having taken serious vows, uh, just to make sure that any child born into that family would be the child of the one that was the husband. So she was pledged to marry a man. She was already engaged uh, to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary probably was fairly young, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. She must have wondered, What have I done to distinguish myself? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. You know, why, why me? Who would, who would ever think they were qualified for this task? And wondered what kind of greeting 
this meant. You know, what, what did he mean? The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God, which says something about, you know, where God places value, not on accomplishment, but upon character. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Can you imagine? How could you even take those words in? And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this possibly be, Mary asked the angel, since I am obviously a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You know, we say conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will actually be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. This was news to Mary. She did not know that. For no word from God will ever fail. What a powerful statement. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, even as it was for Elizabeth. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth there, who was in her sixth month. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leapt in her womb. John, six months along, leapt in the womb just to be in the presence of his Savior, who was now conceived and in the womb of another woman. What does that tell you about the nature of life in the womb? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored, Elizabeth said, that the mother of my Lord. She was already called a mother. She was not just called a mother. She was called the mother of my Lord should come to me. For as soon as your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then we jump to the last verse after the Magnificat. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. She came in her sixth month. She stayed, no doubt, until Elizabeth delivered. And what a blessing she must have been uh, to Elizabeth to care for her in those last three months of her pregnancy. She was an elderly lady. But what a blessing also Elizabeth, a woman of obvious faith. And a home that certainly knew the scripture, Zechariah being a priest. What a blessing they must have been to this young girl to nurture her for three months as she contemplated what this meant that she would be the mother of the Most High God and, take, and he would take the throne of his father David. So a mutual blessing and, and God had worked all of that out. But as I look back on this story and, and, uh, and remove some of the sentiment Remove some of the, the sweetness and the gentility of that story. And I, I see the reality of what Mary had to face with. You know, I, I have to say there are a few things that I would have done different if I were God. You know, the, the, the first scandal of unnecessary roughness, you know. 
How can this be, Mary said, since I'm a virgin? Now, I get, I, I do get that God had chosen a virgin. In fact, uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 7, it tells us this is a sign. And the prophecies of the Old Testament are so important and so complicated that only Jesus could be proven and claimed to be the Messiah. No one else could say, well, I was born in Bethlehem. Yes, other children were, but there were so many other prophecies. And this one uh, is the mother of all prophecies. You know, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And also so that he could become the son of God, uh, that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I get the nature of that choice. What I don't understand, what I think is unnecessary roughness, is that uh, God did not announce to Mary and Joseph at the same time. Only Mary heard this word, and then she left town. She left town for three months, and she was going to come back, and you can imagine the joy and, 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 and how high she must have felt, emotionally high, from the time that she spent with Zachariah and Elizabeth, and every day must have been like that, and to see Elizabeth bring this child into the, into the world, and, and it was now happening, and it was about to happen also for Mary, and, and she could not wait to get back to uh, Joseph. But Joseph had a different take on things. You know, you've been gone for three months and now you come and you tell me you're pregnant and you're going to have a child. I mean, why didn't God announce to them both at the same time? Why does God have to deal with us in such difficulty? Why does it have to be so hard, I mean, to be faithful? Now, Pastor Dion was just up here and he talked about uh, your commitments to next. I guarantee you that if you stretch to make a commitment for next, you're going to suffer financial setback. I just guarantee it. It, it just happens. It's going to be a test of your faith as to whether, and you will wonder, did we bite off more than we can chew? Is this even possible for us now? Because we didn't see this coming. God has a way of, of putting us, you know, in the fire. Even though we move towards faithfulness. You know, when, when you decide that God has urged you and you're going to do this, you're going to forgive and you're going to move on towards somebody who has not been gracious to you. And I guarantee you that person will even be worse to you after you make that commitment. It's going to even be harder and you're going to say, why did I bother? Or if you make a decision at work based on your Christian conviction, even though you know your boss and you know your colleagues would want you to make some other diff different decision, I guarantee you, when you decide to do the faithful thing, to do the right thing, it may not go well for you at work. Why does it have to be so hard? You know, why does God put us in the fire? The scandal of unnecessary roughness. And I like this statement. God doesn't give his hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. He hasn't decided that you could handle that. And therefore, he gave it to you. He didn't look at Mary and say, she's a tough nut. She can handle this. She'll have no problem with the difficulty uh, of dealing with this pregnancy alone and, and uh, suffering Joseph's doubts. No, he doesn't give his hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. He creates his toughest soldiers through life's hardest battles. It's through the struggle that God strengthens us. You know, the struggle does a number of things. First of all, it, it gives authenticity to your witness. You know, people know about your struggle. And when they see your faithfulness despite your struggle, they see that's an authentic witness. That person is truly committed. It brings glory to God, but it also strengthens you. 
There's a scripture in the New Testament, Jesus' own words, when he said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He will certainly remove any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, which is uh, of concern. You know, if you think it doesn't matter that, that you live a faithful life, you put yourself in jeopardy. But listen to this. And every branch in me that has made the decision to bring forth fruit, that has made the commitment, you know, to, uh, to make a difference in things that matter, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it so it will bear more fruit. Doesn't sound like an enjoyable experience to be pruned, you know. But God does that for the faithful, not because he doesn't like you, not because he wants to see you sweat, but because he wants to increase your faithfulness and the blessings that will come from it. So the, the first scandal is that scandal of unnecessary roughness. Even the NFL protects its valuable players. You know, they throw flags, <laughs> except for Cam Newton. You know, he, he complains they don't throw enough flags for him. But, but all the others, and God doesn't always protect us. The second scandal is this, the scandal of friendly fire. You know, the person that you would expect in your life, and we're not talking about God here, we're talking about those within your sphere of influence, those that are within your immediate family, those who, who make claims of love towards you are sometimes the source of your greatest pain. The scandal of friendly fire. This is how, this is from Matthew, actually. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but they came together, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by means of the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and he had to protect his lineage, and he had to put aside any woman that was not faithful to him, and yet he was also caring, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had decided in his mind after hearing of Mary's pregnancy to divorce her quietly. Wow. How hard that must have been for Mary to, to not receive the endorsement, the affirmation of Joseph. Joseph, you know me. Joseph, you know my family. Joseph, how could you possibly doubt me? She could not wait to tell Joseph. She wanted and needed his affirmation, but that's now how it happened. How hard it must be, and, and we see it as pastors, and, and you see it in your life too. When you've made this decision to be faithful to the Lord, and you expect your spouse, you expect your parents, or you expect your child to be happy for that decision and that commitment that you've made, and, and you find that they step away from you, and they, they treat you as though you have two heads, and that you've made an unreasonable decision. And this is the person that you expect to come alongside. You expect to give you support, and they don't. Now, certainly, the Bible does say faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, we, we do care for people. We do challenge their thinking. Uh, God wants us to do that. But we are called then to love unconditionally, and especially when somebody is following a prompting from God. And to say, I may not yet understand this, or this may be uh, something that God has laid on your heart, but not my heart, but, but I believe that you're seeking and following his will. I'm there with you. It must be hard when, when it doesn't happen that way. 
I have to say a word of caution to us, though, that you have to be careful not to legitimatize the prejudice against those who may judge you. You know, if you are arrogant in your faith and, and, and uh, by virtue of your faith, you are uh, the expression of your faith, giving the impression that you are better than others, then you cannot expect that they would, you know, be supportive of you with that attitude. That is not the attitude of God. You know, Jesus was humble in his understanding of people who doubted him. He was gracious towards them. And we have to also be gracious towards others who doubt us. I don't know what condition Mary was in uh, when Joseph originally uh, questioned uh, what had happened to her. But uh, we aren't told. But uh, it didn't change her conviction about the fact that God would provide for her and God would make a way for her you know, with or without Joseph's support. And we're going to hear more about that next week. Jesus experienced this kind of friendly fire. Remember when he's told his disciples, uh, who do men say that I am? And, and the disciples said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, Peter said that. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, because God has revealed this to you. And he says, now that you know this, I want you to know how this is going to be accomplished. I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be crucified for you there. And Peter said, no, you go too far. This will never happen to you. This isn't how you are going to come into power, God. Jesus, this is not God's will for you in your life. And Jesus had to turn to the man who just pronounced him Savior and say, your mind is set on what you think is right, not on what God says is right. Get behind me, Satan. Or in the garden, he had Judas, one of his own turn against him no matter how much grace he had poured into Judas's life and even from the cross he had to say to his father my God my God why have you forsaken me he knew what it was like to be without the support of those who loved him most the father laid on him the sins of us all and and then he punished and and uh, crucified that sin so that we might receive his righteousness and yet Jesus quoted those words from the Old Testament just to remind us that He was suffering for us. You know, the punishment that we deserve fell on him. He knew what it was like to stand alone. And some of you know what it's like to stand alone. And yet faithfulness to the Lord trumps the support of those who love us most. And then there's finally also this scandal of self-imposed silence. Mary just said, you know, whatever has to be, has to be. I am the Lord's servant. May your words be in me fulfilled. Think about this. All of their life... Joseph and Mary were not able really to explain, you know, who their son was. Later, we are told when Jesus was an adult, he came to his hometown, you know, where Mary was still living with Joseph. And and the people there uh, heard him stand up in the synagogue and read a messianic passage. And he said to all of their friends, the entire community, today this scripture is fulfilled by my coming to you. In other words, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that this passage speaks about. And the people called it blasphemy. And they took him out of town. And they were going to kill him. And Mary knew that it was true. But no one else believed that it was true. And she had to watch that. There was another time when uh, she couldn't stand up and defend him. When others came and said, Mary, you have to come and retrieve your son Jesus. He's lost his mind. He's saying things that no human should ever say. And Mary came to give comfort to her son, and, 
And they told Jesus that your mother is here along with some of your siblings. And he said, this is my mother. These are my fathers. These are my brothers. And these are my sisters. And she pondered these things deeply in her heart. She couldn't always explain. She couldn't always defend, you know, what she knew to be true. In our Inspired series, we've seen that. We've seen people in this congregation who had a secret that they couldn't share because it wasn't safe. And it was too much to ask to be that vulnerable. We saw a young woman come up on our stage and give voice to so many other women who have suffered abuse as a child, sexual abuse as a child. And just think of the, the secret that she bore all those years, looking to the Lord, asking for the Lord for strength, because she couldn't even bring herself to tell even those who loved her most of, of that secret that she was carrying or another young woman who came up and talked about how she was abused by her husband and her life even threatened. And she couldn't even tell her folks because she was afraid of how that would hurt them. How many of you are carrying secrets like that? You know, self-imposed silence. You know, like Mary and Joseph felt. And the only support you have is the support that God grants you. Now I pray, like Mary, that you will have Elizabeth in your life, that you will have Zechariah in your life, that you will have others that you do feel safe with and that you can share with. It probably won't be many, but that God will give you enough physical, immediate, practical support to sustain you through those difficulties. Perhaps you have a secret past that you're not easily able to share with others, mistakes that you've made. And it doesn't feel safe or right to share them. And you just suffer that in silence. But you're a different person than what other people might perceive you to be. The scandal of self-imposed silence. And, And yet what other people think of us shouldn't affect how we think of ourselves. Because we know that our relationship with the Lord is ultimately all that matters. Faithful Christians don't allow the behavior of others to control their behavior. You know, we don't stand up and flash back. You know, we we don't defend. We don't become defensive about the truth that we know and and the struggles that we have faced. We don't always have to lay it out there. We just grow and learn from it as Mary and Joseph did as well. The Lord knows your struggle. The Lord knows your secrets, and he knows what it's like to have such a secret. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for your transgressions, He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace fell to him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He knew that he was right with his father. And that was enough. And he allowed himself to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Didn't need to offer up a defense. He was right with God, and that was sufficient. Mary and Joseph didn't need to explain what they knew about Jesus. They were being right with the Lord, and he was being faithful even to the end, and that was sufficient. I love the way Paul explains this to the church at Corinth. Grace is enough to handle you know, the unnecessary roughness of life. Grace is enough to handle the friendly fire. Grace is enough to handle the self-imposed silence. Paul said, this then is how you ought to regard us, even yourself. As a servant of Christ, entrusted with secrets, the mysteries of God, 
that have been revealed to you, but not to everybody else, so others won't understand. Now it is required of you that you be found faithful, that you prove trust in God's promises. I care very little how I'm judged by you or by any other people, any other court, what other people think of me. I don't even sit in judgment of myself. I don't kick myself for past mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm okay. It doesn't mean that uh, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. You know, I've made mistakes, but I know it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light your struggle, the things that have been hidden in darkness. He will expose not just behavior that other people judge, but even motives of the heart. Commend yourself to him. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. You know, Mary certainly received her praise from the Father when she met him face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we look forward to that moment as well. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the example of Mary. uh, That despite the the silence that she suffered, despite... uh, the friendly fire that she endured, despite what was perceived as unnecessary roughness on your part, that she abided faithful and she trusted you to be faithful to her without having the answers. Lord, give us such confidence as this as as we face the difficulties and the challenges of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise if you would and join with me in reading Mary's words from the Magnificat, her response to to Elizabeth's greeting and uh, and to the news that God had chosen her uh, to be highly favored, even as he has chosen you. 